This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Happy Friday. It's been a long week. So I don't know about you, but I'm just about ready to wrap things up. But before we check out for the holiday weekend, let's look back at the top state and local stories in our weekly news recap. A big first for Chicago's new mayor, Brandon Johnson, presiding over his first city council meeting today. Mayor Brandon Johnson entered city council chambers and got down to business of presiding with talk of unity and a new era of collaboration. But it's clear the mayor has his work cut out for him. The attorney general's report offers up narratives from dozens of men and women abused by Catholic priests in the name of God. A 696-page report names 451 clerics and religious brothers who have been credibly accused of abusing children. All right, we got a lot to talk about. Our panel today is Tina Spondelis, chief political reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. Welcome back, Tina. Thanks, Sasha. Nice to see you. Paris Schutz is a WTTW correspondent and co-anchor of Chicago Tonight. Good to see you again, Paris. Hey, Sasha. And WBEZ City Politics reporter Mariah Wolfel is here. Hey, Mariah. Hello, hello. Let's give a special shout out to the folks who are watching us. Break down the news live right now on the WBEZ Facebook and YouTube pages. All right, Paris, Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raoul released some very shocking details about widespread abuse of kids by the Catholic Church here in Illinois. Fill us in. This investigation was five years in the making, started in 2018 under former Attorney General Lisa Madigan, as other states uh, did these investigations like Pennsylvania and found thousands of kids that had been abused. So this obviously happening all over the country for decades, all over the world. And, and here's the thing about this investigation. So when it starts... The churches, the Chicago Archdiocese and other dioceses, come forward and say, we've done our internal investigations, we've handled this, we've paid out uh, to the victims, and we have 100 clergy member total that uh, we know are abusers and they've been removed. Well, then the investigation by the attorney general goes forward and they find more people, and so the churches come forward, okay, yeah, yeah, no, there were more people, Uh, the real number was 350. Uh, And then the investigation is published and their number is 450 clergy members with credible uh, sexual abuse allegations uh, with 2,000 mm. victims and survivors. Many of these folks abused many, many, many times. So the bombshell here is this discrepancy. The church had reported one number, and there were 100 more than the church had listed and reported, and everyone wants to know what gives. So Cardinal Supage of the Chicago Archdiocese goes on the defensive and says, well, all right, well, we did our investigation, and if the attorney general found more, why didn't they consult with us? You know, we can't find everybody. And then B, a lot of these names, a lot of these folks work for the the different orders uh, of the church, because, you know, it's divided into the Franciscans and the Viatorians and all these other orders. And, well, we're not in charge of those. It's the bishops that are responsible for those. And the report says, okay, there's some credibility to that. Yes, bishops are responsible for these orders. But folks like the Survivors Network of those abused by priests say, not good enough, Cardinal Supich. Yeah, well, let's let's hear a bit of, of some of the voices that you just mentioned. First, a clip from the AG. Here's what he had to say at the press conference. The list fails to explain the basis by which allegations against these additional individuals were substantiated or deemed credible, and by whom. We have asked repeatedly that we be informed of any cases discovered by or disclosed to the Attorney General's office. Yet we saw new, unexplained names in this report. So that was actually uh, Cardinal Blaise Supich saying, you know, the church, as you said, Paris, reported all the allegations that most of these cases happened decades, uh, but Mm -hmm. that no priest currently serving has been accused of abuse. So I'm curious, opening this up to the the rest of the folks at the table here, what do you think of the cardinal's reaction? 
Well, I just don't think it's been handled well by the archdiocese from the start of this investigation in 2018, starting by saying, you know, we've done our due diligence. There's 100 priests that we've identified, um, and, and that's and that's it. And then that number changes and grows over time, as Paris kind of outlined. Um, and then to go on the defensive after this pretty comprehensive and probably the most thorough report that Illinoisans and survivors and victims have seen, to go on the defensive, I just don't think is a is a good look when you know the Catholic Church is already is already struggling yeah. with diminishing numbers of parishioners. They've consolidated many churches um, over the the past decade to deal with that. And so I, I think to move forward, um, it it would serve to not be on the defensive. But that's that's my my take. Before we hear from you, Tina, let's hear that clip from the AG. It is my sincere hope that this report will shine light on those who violated their positions of power and trust to abuse innocent children and on the men in church leadership who covered up that abuse. Yeah, so I mean, how damaging is this for the Catholic Church? Extremely damaging. There are already how many years of rebuilding after decades of these types of allegations. And I think the difficulty for Cardinal Stupich is he is seen as a spiritual leader. You know, you have so many Catholic churches in Illinois where these these people are— want to see what he says every day in the church bulletin, and they follow everything that he's saying. So he's in this position where he has to be the spiritual leader, and he has to support um, the Catholic Church, but he also has to speak out about this, and it's it's like a teeter-tottering. Mm. And I think it's really hard for him, and it's hard for the church to kind of grapple yeah. with what's going and, on. And from a public relations standpoint, you know, humility mm-hmm. is a virtue of the Catholic Church. And to come out and be defiant after everything that's gone on over the decades in the Catholic Church and to say— was the attorney general's fault for not working with us? Well, we don't. Uh, we're not in charge. Of the, the the only response here, and editorial pages have have reflected this. The only response is humility, sorrow, yeah. um, you know, reconciliation. Uh, because at so many instances here over the years, the Catholic Church has appeared that they just want to wash their hands of all mm-hmm. this. And 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 look, I get it because they've paid out hundreds of million dollars in civil lawsuits over this. They brought this on themselves. They had abusers that many people in power knew were abusers and they shuffled them around to different parishes where many times they abused more kids and this happened not only in Illinois not only in the United States around the world it's a criminal conspiracy mm. and you can't just wash your hands of it and if you are a spiritual leader then you have to show some kind of humility here and and people aren't just going to buy this yeah. defiance yeah and it's so interesting if you do want to wash your hands of it if you want to move forward how do you expect to do that without a, a clear narrative of what happened just an agreement of the facts and it seemed that this could have been an opportunity for the catholic church and and cardinal supich to um you know kind yeah. of let the record be set straight and move on from there and so it's it is it is somewhat surprising I, that I, he went on the defense I, I want to play the devil's advocate no pun intended here you know on the other side uh, the chicago archdiocese touts the fact that they have uh, set up systems and the, the supich has said well we were at the forefront of it you can argue whether or not that's the case but the attorney general does acknowledge that the chicago archdiocese uh, did put in place a system at some point to to investigate and to, uh, you know, weed out uh, abusers. And, and they have, to some extent, gotten control of this, mm-hmm. although it shouldn't be mediated internally. And that's the other conclusion here in the AG's report, that it has to be external investigators and mediators that are that are really cleaning this up because, you know, it just can't be internal within the organization. It's like yeah. a college, like, investigating sexual assaults and saying, we have this 
um, and, in the, and keeping the police out. It's Absolutely. like it, it just seems That's like not it going doesn't to work. work. Uh, our friends on YouTube are chiming in. Shamrock Bloom says it's not a surprise, but it is awful. Why aren't the clergy subject to criminal charges? That's the other great point about this. And, and the AG's report kind of acknowledges that A, statute of limitations have run out, and B, most of these accusers are dead and gone. And so there's not going to be a whole lot of legal justice Mm -hmm. for for the survivors here because of that. And to your point, Tina Shamrock says self-policing has not worked. Right. Uh, So the report's recommendations on how to prevent this in the future, you just mentioned, of course, taking it from just being internal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, taking it, it, right, being kind of an external process, uh, external mediators. um, But, you know, beyond that... It's calling for just greater transparency. Greater transparency. And and again, most of these folks are gone. And so it is kind of one of those things that happened a long time ago. And and these churches have sort of gotten this under control. And they kind of understand that they, they need to police this going forward. Yeah. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in... We're going behind the headlines in the weekly news recap with WTTW's Paris Schutz, Tina Spondelis of the Chicago Sun-Times, and WBEZ's Mariah Wolfel. A reminder that you can watch the weekly news recap live on the WBEZ Facebook and YouTube pages. You can also leave us a comment or question. Talk to us in that YouTube chat box. And as you just heard, I may just read what you have to say about the stories on air. All right, uh, Mariah, it's a new era in Chicago politics, would you say? Mayor Brandon Johnson, he actually held his first city council meeting this week. I know that you were there as history was was being made. So how did he seem? I I remember seeing a selfie on Twitter. He seemed (laughs) super happy. He had some flair. I mean, you know, Johnson finds himself in a great, wondrous position um, after a hard-fought election. And he, yeah, he did not hesitate to celebrate kind of the that moment, taking a selfie. Um, He was very jokey, made a lot of jokes throughout the meeting. complimented alder people again and again for their three-piece suits, for their shirts. He said to Alderman Daniel Espada, I hope I I look as good as that shirt does on you. (laughs) He started the meeting, I'm sure a lot of people saw, off with a joke saying, breaking news, this is being recorded live from Naperville, um, which was a dig (laughs) at Fox News for the report that the tribe revealed. They interviewed people in in the suburbs about Johnson and his challenges ahead. Um, So on many... On, in in many ways, it was a it was a you know lively and positive meeting. But at some um, point, they got to work. They did get to work, and Johnson had a big accomplishment getting through his restructuring of city council committees. He placed some of his biggest allies in powerful committee chairmanships, and you know the there was a question about whether he was going to be able to do that because there's been this streak of independence in the council, um, and his plan hasn't been well received by everyone. There mm-hmm. were some members who spoke out against his plan, saying this hasn't been a transparent or democratic process. Mm-hmm. Johnson would disagree. His floor leader, Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa, I think would disagree. Um, but he did get that through with a big margin of 41 uh, to 9. Okay. Um, and so so that's that's a really good that's a really good ratio, um, and it sends a strong message that he did do the work behind the scenes to get people on board with his with his um, structure reorg. Mm-hmm. Now, another serious matter in council, which I'm sure we'll talk about, was delayed, which is that funding for migrants, um, yeah. $51 million, was delayed by three conservative aldermen. And so that was a hurdle he wasn't able to get over on Wednesday, but they'll be back next week to take that matter up again. You know, as we talked a moment ago, Paris, about the the kind of rapport that mm-hmm. Johnson seemed to to have with with the alderman, 
quite a change from his predecessor. Quite no? a change from his predecessor on the inauguration, you know, turning around to all the older people, being sworn in on their big day with their families in attendance and waving her finger and saying, you know, no, 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 no to to uh, aldermanic prerogative and things like that. But yeah, Brandon Johnson's a funny guy and he's a charismatic guy and people genuinely like him. And I do think that that's something uh, that could be used to his advantage uh, to kind of twist a couple arms, to cajole a couple votes if he needs to. He's a great orator, which is something that neither the previous mayors going back to Harold Washington were. So that's going to be something new. But it's not as if he's going to need that extra jolt because as Mariah mentioned, this vote, 41 to 9 for his council reorganization plan, which it seemed like for a while it might be up in the air that Alderman didn't want this to go. And those nine seem to form the basis of maybe an opposition block. That's a very small opposition block. And the way I read it right now is Brandon Johnson has total control over city council uh, to to start off. We don't know if that's going to be the case going forward. He will be able to get his initiatives passed pretty well if he keeps doing the work uh, behind the scenes. These are margins that Daly had, that Rahm Emanuel had, yeah. and um, this this is almost like a mandate he has, uh, and and it's going to serve him very well for his agenda, totally. unless you know, in, unless the financial or the crime picture starts to deteriorate. Yeah, Tina, sounds like a big win for the it, new it, mayor. It also, it seemed nice that these people who supported um, Lori Lightfoot or Paul Vallis seem to be saying, hey, we hated the gridlock over the past four years. We do, we want to do things differently. Mm-hmm. And we heard that many times. And that is a hopeful message. Um, like as Paris said, he could get a lot done if this continues. If it doesn't, you know, we've seen everything in Chicago. We don't really know how this will play out. But I do think Johnson's um, skills as having been a teacher – an organizer, a lobbyist, like all three, I think, <laughs> will serve mm-hmm. him well. He knows how to talk to people. He knows how to make deals. Um, that's something that we haven't seen in the mayor's office. And not to mention a pastor and the son of a pastor. He knows exactly. how to get up on the pulpit yeah. that's a lot of and command passes. the audience. Well, here's the thing. I mean, the, the idea that the mayor, you know, again, is fi- picking his friends and allies for these, these jobs. I mean, should taxpayers have any concerns that this is just Business as usual yes, at City Hall. Of course, of course. I mean, the whole notion of the mayor kind of appointing the heads of these committees, it's a, it's a great way for him to cement power because the, the folks that get these chairmanships are so grateful. It means money. It means jobs. Uh, and But we should mention that it's not all allies that he appointed. Like the Public Safety Committee, uh, Alderman Brian Hopkins, second ward, was a Vallis supporter, not a Johnson supporter at all. And it's 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 kind of like the old dictum, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. closer. <laughs> and so that's kind of smart. That's a smart strategy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, yeah, I mean, you see Matt O'Shea, Alderman Matt O'Shea of the 19th Ward, whose ward went very strongly for Vallis. Matt O'Shea endorsed Vallis. He's leading the Aviation Committee. Um, Alderman Nick Spizzato, one of the council's most conservative mm-hmm. members, is holding his um, committee chairmanship of the Recreation and Cultural Affairs Committee. He calls it the Happy Committee. Um, um, but you do see him. I mean, <laughs> I know those those you, were some you mean, of you mean the happy committee. <laughs> the happy committee. <laughs> those are you know some of the chips that he traded. He he was smart to appoint Alderman Jason Irvin um, to the budget committee. Of course, Jason Irvin did endorse um, Johnson after first endorsing Lightfoot in the first round. He was one of Lightfoot's biggest allies, but he gave him a powerful committee. And Jason Irvin also heads the council's Black Caucus, and so he may be you know. Um, 
brings in some people with that appointment as well. And so he has okay, done so there's a little bit of a mix in there. Yeah. And he said he, you know, every alderman I've spoken to, no alderman that I've spoken to has, has said I ha- I did. I haven't gotten a call from Johnson since he won. So I do think he, he did work to to call people He's in to touch. make He's connections. Trying to... Can I just add in really quickly? The problem with these committees is some of them just never meet and yeah. do anything. And I think Block Club did that story about the committee on what is it? Migrants or whatever. Yeah, Immigration. Immigration. And- Never even met like during yeah. this whole immigration crisis. Like some of them have no point whatsoever. They, they didn't meet for a little over a year. Right. Yeah, which is wild considering what happened within mm-hmm. that exact year. Uh, we're going to pick up the weekly news recap, folks, in just a moment. We've got WBEZ's Mariah Wolfel, WTTW's Parish Shots, and Tina Spondellis with the Chicago Sun Times. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and if you're just tuning in, you're listening to the weekly news recap on Reset, where we make sense of the week's top local and state stories. Now, before the break, we discussed alarming news of child sexual abuse in the Catholic Church. And we also looked back at Mayor Johnson's first city council meeting, but there is more to get to. The Chicago City Council is set to vote today on using $51 million in emergency funds to help an influx of migrants coming to the city. Mayor Johnson addressed the heated debate but did not give specifics of a plan reminding reporters that he inherited this crisis and he's only been on the job for less than two weeks. A new set of budget delays hit the state house, meaning lawmakers are looking at session this holiday weekend. I'm standing alongside Senate President Don Harmon and House Speaker Chris Welch to announce that we have an agreement on a balanced budget for the coming year. Our panel today, Tina Svondellis, chief political reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times, Paris Schutz, WTTW correspondent and co-anchor of Chicago Tonight, and Mariah Wolfel, WBEZ city politics reporter. And we are still live on WBEZ's Facebook and YouTube pages for those who prefer to watch. Let's get an update on the legislative session in Springfield, shall we? Tina, lawmakers had hoped to be done last Friday, and that didn't happen. So what was the holdup? Well, there was a self-imposed deadline by Democratic leaders that they would finish by May 19th. They blew that. And then on Wednesday, um, they had a really nice press conference with the governor. It was actually about like 45 minutes late, so we were getting worried. Um, And then they come in, which actually was a thing. They were still negotiating. They said there was an agreement, and then we're still negotiating. Had a late press conference, still said there was an agreement, and they did not pass a budget till last night. Uh, just before midnight, the Illinois Senate passed a budget. It's $50.6 billion in spending. Ah. A lot of things in there. The Illinois House is supposed to take it up today. Um, that So they are about a week late on this. Definitely a week late on this. Okay, so well, we finally have a state budget. Were, were you surprised at all, though, Paris, that, I mean, it took lawmakers past a week, uh, you know, a week past their deadline? Well, I'm surprised they set a deadline for a week ago because there, <laughs> there was no reason to. It just has to pass before, you know, I mean, know, this was the deadline they set June. for themselves, though. Yeah, and and I think that they didn't think they were going to hit the—because they have super majorities. They're like, well, we have super majorities. Where's the disagreement going to be? But there are— there are sticking points here, and especially this issue of Medicaid-style health care for migrants, asylum seekers, folks that are here. Um, and it it was originally tabbed to be $200 million, and now the projections are it's going to cost a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And so I think Tina would know better than me, but they came to some compromise where they project it won't cost a billion dollars, but they're saying things like, 
what we're going to put in controls to, to manage the costs. I don't really know what that means, right. but uh, yeah. maybe Tina can enlighten yeah, me on they that. Yeah, they did. They tried to, that was a big sticking point in budget negotiations all week, especially with the House Democratic Caucus. And we're talking um, about health care for undocumented for, immigrants. That's right. Um, not the migrant money or refugee money. Right. This is separate. This is undocumented health care. And so it was a sticking point um, behind the scenes in the House Democratic caucuses between progressives and moderates and with the governor's office because they didn't want to have to set a line item in the budget, not have enough, uh, or just have it be their responsibility, their political responsibility to say Democratic lawmakers only did this. They messed up. It's a political issue. So they wanted to put it on Pritzker a little bit. And as Paris said, they, he has the tools now, which is <laughs> an authorization for the Department of Health and uh, Health and Human, Human Services, Service. I believe, to be able to better manage the budget. But there is a $550 million appropriations in one of the budget bills for this. So that's the number that we have. And then we have a potential expansion. So they got out of the political nervousness of this by doing it that but way. Then, but there's also the fo- like pro-immigrant groups, uh, Latino caucus that want to lower the age where uh, you could be eligible for this health care as an undocumented person to 19 because right. now it's what 42 so they didn't lower the age they, they did not obviously that would explode the cost even more yeah. that's to say there are way more issues that will come up with this especially since there was that huge there was a one billion dollar um, estimate and that's a lot of money if yeah. we were to have to pay that in the state and, and tina the budget's more than 3400 pages long yes. you read it right super fun yeah i read all of it <laughs> all of it every lawmaker i'm tell sure us everything i will tell you that a big focus of the governor's uh proposal back in february February was education. He wants to be the governor that says, I saved education in Illinois. I made it better. Higher education, public education. So that that is a huge focus. Um, there's a lot of good things, a lot of money for K through 12 for early education. And that's nice. a win-win. You know, it's not like Republicans can say, oh, my gosh, I'm so I'm so mad you gave money to the kids. So it was uh, he thought about that. There aren't a lot of people speaking out about the fact that uh, education is getting a big boost. Yeah, that makes sense. Lawmakers passed a lot of bills this session. One of them could help catch carjackers. Now, Sheriff Tom Dart has long been calling for a carjacking hotline where car manufacturers would be forced to basically help law enforcement find these stolen cars. Let's listen to what he said recently. We are left with people who are talking to us about search warrants. They're talking to us about, you need to call back uh, um, between 9 to 5 on the weekday. So the excuses have been voluminous. One is more insane than the next, and all of them are unacceptable. So how would this new legislation help police catch carjackers? Just as um, Sheriff Dart said, it would be a 24-7 hotline. So the car manufacturers would have to help law enforcement find these cars in a more efficient way. And Dart has been trying to help with this issue for many years. There's a task force that he started two years ago. I'm sure we all remember in 2020 during like the peak of the pandemic mm-hmm. that there were horrible stories of the South Loop of you know people stealing SUVs with babies in the car, just mm-hmm. the worst stories. Well, I mean, it continued that were when I got here in 2021. That was Those were some of the first stories I covered yes, when I got so here. So that is something that he's been targeting for years. So that task force has been finding um, people, has, has been finding the cars. And um, I guess Patrick Smith from WBEZ did a good story a couple days ago about how they're finding the cars, but the people aren't really being prosecuted. It's a whole other issue. But DART does want this to help kind of seal that, have them find all the cars. And he wants this on a federal level. He thinks that this is not just happening in Chicago and Cook County, that this is happening everywhere and there needs to be more help from the federal government. And some other interesting legislation got passed. So we've already talked about full-day kindergarten and public schools, Tina. I know there's also legislation that would allow businesses to create gender-neutral bathrooms and uh, another bill aiming to increase diversity in the construction industry. 
Yes. Uh, I would say the gender, uh, the, the gender neutral bathroom. Or was multi, a, yeah, it's a multi-occupant. Multi, which I've personally been in some of those already. So multi-occupancy this, ones? Yes, yeah. where you just go to the bathroom and everyone's in there. Right. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's the places that I'm going to. I, but, I haven't been in one yet, but I, I know that they exist. They well, exist. Well, isn't this, like, the whole point of this is to make sure the stalls, that the doors go all the way down to the floor because there's yeah. more privacy? It's ensuring that businesses know that they are able to do this. So mm. it is not mandating them to do that. And that is what Democrats were very clear about on the floor. There also was no political mention about the fact that this is intended to protect the LGBTQ plus community, but they didn't want to make it a political issue. They just kept it to, we want people to be able to have the freedom to do this. Um, Senate Republicans last week were pretty testy. Some of them were. Um, there was one who said that he would beat someone up if his daughter was in a bathroom and a man came in. Mm-hmm. It was pretty aggressive. It's still talked about on the floor yesterday. The state representative Kelly Cassidy mentioned oh, it. Yeah, it was pretty because aggressive. there was a threat of violence, and that's bad. Um, and so that's the kind of arguments that we've been hearing from some Republicans, not all. They also just said this is a useless bill because it's a, it's not a mandate. It's just telling businesses they are allowed to build these bathrooms. As Paris said, no urinals. It's just a mm-hmm. floor to ceiling multi-capacity, non-gender bathroom. So you technically wouldn't really see the people I unless see. maybe you're washing your hands. By yeah. the sink. Yeah. And before we, we switch gears here, I want to talk about a notable bill that stalled in this session. That's the, the tax incentive bill to help the bears move to Arlington Heights. Oh, yes. Uh, that was the first bill. They kind of went rogue is, is what I was hearing. Paris, are you smiling? I'm smiling at the thought that the off-season workouts have begun and Justin Fields is throwing to DJ Moore, and it's going to be an awesome season. He's daydreaming. (laughs) Sorry, I got distracted. Oh, sorry. I just add lots of jokes about losing in my story. Sorry, you're more optimistic. Um, But, yeah, this was not a big surprise. They did try to throw in getting state help for a new stadium, and people were really upset about it because they said, you have lots of money, you're one of the top – you know, earning teams in the country, figure it out. And so Mm. there's a new proposal that floated last week. They're going to work through the summer, try to get something passed. It's better because these municipalities around Arlington Heights would be getting some help for their school districts, for projects, for um, infrastructure projects. Mm -hmm. So they're being a little bit more included. So it looks like it will move. It's just that initial one, people hated it so much. (laughs) It's all part of the ebb and flow. But I remember uh, Marty Moylan, the state representative from Displains, who isn't like one of the principal sponsors uh, of this saying, like, you know, the Bears don't have a big lobbying presence down here. If they want to get our attention, you got to bring, like, Ditka and Singletary. Oh, and he Ur- wants to do that. He Urlacher. wants to bring players. Yeah, when this like is have Erlocker come down and say, "Hey, guys, like that would be a cinch." You want to get your bill passed? Get those guys down there. And <laughs> I haven't boom. seen him in so long beyond the, the billboards. Yeah, so I'd like I'd love to see him bring him life. down there with a whole full beautiful head of hair. Love and, to see that. You know. <laughs> this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're going behind the headlines in the weekly news recap with WTTW's Paris Schutz, Tina Spondellis from the Chicago Sun Times, and WBEZ's Mariah Wolfel. All right, Mariah, I want to turn to the migrant families who continue to arrive here from Texas. Now, city council delayed a vote that would have authorized $51 million in funding for migrant services. So what's the roadblock here? So that is $51 million of surplus funding from 2021 that the city's budget director under Lightfoot said they put away to, you know, for unanticipated emergencies. And so they want to tap into that fund to 
um, pay for staffing, food and resources at the city's seven shelters um, and three respite centers and and hopefully help to open more shelters as well. Um, But there's been this ongoing and contentious debate in the city council from you know, kind of two camps, one sort of coming from maybe a not in my backyard. This isn't my neighborhood's not the right fit for this, um, for for shelters. And we don't want to use $51 million of city funding for um, new residents when, you know, there are plenty of Chicagoans in Mm. need of help. Which older persons are opposed? So this was blocked by a group of conservative aldermen, um, Alderman Raymond Lopez, Anthony Napolitano, and Anthony Beal. Um, who, you know, afterwards, Beal kind of repeated the same argument that why should I approve $51 million for a a group of people when my residents can't get the services they need? I have homeless residents that I'm dealing with already. Um, And so there is that concern um, there. And they, what is called deferred and published it, which basically just banishes the proposal to the council's next full meeting, which is why we see a new meeting pop up for next week so yeah. that they can kind of get this done. This funding, though, it's it's not a panacea, obviously. $51 million sounds like a lot. That's only going to last the city until the end of June. Um, and wow. so and th- they're trying to make up for, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in denied federal and state funding um, that, you know, they've requested tens of millions of dollars, multiple rounds of grants from the state and the city and or from the from the federal government and the state and have gotten, you know, really small portions of that smaller yeah. from the feds. I think the state has helped out a lot more with this, um, but they've they've only gotten four million dollars from the federal government this year. Wow. You know, as, as Mariah mentioned there, Paris, you know, housing these migrants, mm-hmm. mixed reaction yeah. all over the city. I'm curious what you're hearing from residents and, and just your reporters at Chicago. Tonight. Yeah, well, that's the, the the latest proposal is to house about, what, 400 um, at Wright uh, Junior College on the northwest side. And so the alderman there, Nick Spazzato, got all up in arms when he heard that. He's, well, we got to have a community meeting then. And at these community meetings, like in South Shore, it feels like the majority of the residents um, that have showed up have been opposed um, to relocating migrants here. And now what everybody says, because this gets to be kind of delicate and there's issues of race involved here, but what Spazzato has said and what other folks that are opposed have said, it's it's not that we don't want to take care of migrants. Mm. It's, it's, it's that we don't want something imposed on us like this without our input, A, and B, if there are these resources for these new arrivals, well, what about these disinvested communities that have been in this situation for decades and decades. What about the resources? Can't we share the wealth a little bit? Can't we take care of everybody, not just migrants? And certainly they have a point there, and that's why this is tricky. And it's very tricky for Brandon Johnson because yeah. because Johnson is progressive, and he got elected on the winds of, of progressive voters, progressive groups that do want uh, to maintain Chicago's status as a welcoming city and a sanctuary city. Mm-hmm. But then he knows that, especially South Shore, there are members of the African-American community that feel like you're kind of selling us out a little bit if you're going you're gonna to give these resources to new arrivals. Yeah. Speaking of sanctuary city, our, our friend on YouTube, Chicago 675, says, so being a sanctuary city isn't cheap, huh? Well, of course not. And um, but there does need to be more federal funding. I, I interviewed Senator Durbin this week on it, and he just kind of gives a yes. We know that we, you know, we. I don't. He can't give me a definitive. Is there more federal funds going to come for the city of Chicago? And you know, Texas Governor Greg Abbott keeps sending these folks over. It feels like a political stunt, obviously. But we should mention that Texas is on the border, and they're getting inundated. And so it's kind of like, you know, he's saying to Illinois. 
You want to know what it's really like to be a sanctuary? Say, like, this is what it costs. Mm. This is what we've been going through. So, you know, there's no comprehensive immigration reform yeah. I- at the federal level, and that's the only thing that could really solve a lot of this. Well, and that's the argument, too. I mean, I spoke with Alderman David Moore, who does not support, He, you know, he represents the Inglewood neighborhood. His, his Many parts of his ward have long been disinvested and mm-hmm. starved for resources. And he, he says this is a federal issue, you know, Democrats— controlled the House and the Senate previously under Joe Biden, and they weren't able to find a solution to this issue. And so, you know, basically he sees the city spending $51 million as a, as a bailout for the federal government and doesn't want to see the city, you know, even provide that band-aid. Can I add one more thing? And here is one fix that's just been really hard to do is to somehow relax the work requirements. Because the federal law is that if you're here seeking asylum, waiting for your hearing, you can't actually work. And everybody has acknowledged it is much better if migrants are here that they be authorized to work. Because mm-hmm. what happens now is, yeah, they are reliant on this funding or they go out and get jobs under the table. They're not paying taxes and then they get exploited. And so but there's no I, I don't see any political will anywhere to change that. Yeah. I don't even know if they can do that on the city level and say, you know, we're going to give you authorization to work even though the feds don't. I don't know. Some back and forth on YouTube to in response to uh, Chicago 675's comment about sanctuary cities not being cheap. Our friend Shamrock Bloom says it absolutely is not, but we're helping desperate people who are feeling oppressive regimes. There needs to be a lot more transparency from the mayor's office. We'll take a pause right here and we'll pick up the weekly news recap in just a moment with WBEZ's Mariah Wolfel, WTTW's Paris Schutz, and Tina Spondalis from the Chicago Sun-Times. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we are back with more of our weekly news recap, giving you a closer look at the week's top stories across Chicago and Illinois. Now, before the break, we took a deep dive into what happened in Springfield as lawmakers wrapped up the spring session, but we've still got more news to cover. Our panel, Tina Spondalis, chief political reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times, Paris Schatz, WTTW correspondent and co-anchor of Chicago Tonight, and Mariah Wolfel, WBEZ city politics reporter, and we are still live on Facebook and YouTube. Now, the inspector general, that's the city's watchdog, issued a pretty concerning report, Mariah, about Chicago police. So what did the investigation reveal? Sure. It showed that more than 100 Chicago police officers were allowed to remain on the job or had recently been on the job who were found guilty of making false reports. And so um, these were officers who were some assigned to special FBI, you know, specialized units like an FBI task force. Um you know, this is even though dismissal for breaking what's known as Rule 14 is, you know, the consequence is dismissal. Um, that's, and by Rule 14, you mean uh, Lori Lightfoot's you lie, you die rule. Right. When when Lightfoot was president of the police board, she uh, called it the you lie, you die rule. Um, but, uh, you know, Deborah Witzberg, inspector general, revealed that more than 100 officers, you know, remained on the job despite mm. that. So what recommendations did the IG make? One, that police officers, the recommendation should always be that a police officer gets fired um, for lying or making a false report. Mm-hmm. Um, they should be dismissed from the department. Two, that um, they need to have better record keeping and ensure that they're fulfilling their obligation to inform prosecutors of officers who have violated Rule 14 previously um, because these officers in two instances highlighted in the report have then gone on to testify in court, even though, you know, Mm -hmm. it's on their record that they have, um, you know, 
on record in report police reports uh, made false statements. Wow, incredible. Tina, a utility watchdog is is sounding another alarm here. This one is over a record-setting rate hike that ComEd is hoping to get from the state. Details? Yes, uh, they are hoping to pass this gigantic rate that will that would affect all of us. Yeah. And along with people's gas, also seeking a big rate that they also would need approval for. It could be about like $18 a month for both of them for our energy bills. So um, COD, the Citizens Utility Board, is obviously fighting this. Illinois Commerce Commission is the one who has to approve this. Obviously, ComEd has a PR problem right now. Um, a and lot so, going on in their camp. <laughs> there was actually a bill on the General Assembly, an Ameren bill, affecting other parts of the state, and ComEd wanted in on it, and just them being included on it was a no-no because because of the bribery um, convictions that just happened in federal courts, and also Mike Madigan on trial next month. Mm-hmm. So it, this is affecting oh gosh, them. Is that next month? I mean, sorry, next year. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. I'm like, oh, I'm not ready for that just yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they have to try to work on this. They say that they need it. They need it for to work on the energy grid. They said they said it's related to um, climate change or all these good reasons that they say they need um, this big increase. And we're it's up to the Illinois Commerce Commission to accept it. Mm-hmm. And it's possible that they won't because of what has gone on. Paris restaurant owners in the trendy Fulton Market area in the West Loop, they made news this week and they were announcing that they had their own plans for how to reduce crime. Mm -hmm. What are they saying? Well, they want to get private security and it cost uh, somewhere close to about a million dollars and they probably have to get private money to pay for it. It doesn't Mm -hmm. seem like there'll be any public or uh, neighborhood money that will pay for them. Interestingly, the alderman there, 27th Ward, Walter Burnett, supported. He thinks this is a good idea. It's something that has happened in Lincoln Park. It's obviously a reaction to either the perception or the reality of rising crime. Mm-hmm. Fulton Market area, West Loop, is not a, a hotbed of crime, although I think some crime rates have gone up in that area. And mm-hmm. obviously it's the hottest area of the city in terms of restaurants and real estate and businesses. And so their businesses are contingent on people feeling safe going there. But the problem is, what authority does private security really have? What What is their job? I mean, they, yeah. they can't arrest you. I mean, their job is to kind of just stand there and make people feel like, oh, well, I guess we're being watched over. And then if something and weird happens, they call the cops. Right. So, I mean, that's and, basically and is, what it is. I mean, this is $800,000 a year Yeah, this would cost. Yeah, it's not cheap, although when you pool the resources of all these very trendy restaurants and businesses, it seems like they could probably afford that. But, you know, the broader debate of is this what we want to become? Do we want to have private security uh, patrolling everywhere? Do we want to feel like we're a police state? Um, You know, that's a debate worth having. I don't have the answer to that. Yeah. Meanwhile, Mariah, some city restaurant owners are celebrating as outdoor dining season gets underway. Mayor Johnson is ensuring that they can continue to offer an alfresco experience on city streets. Yeah, this was an initiative by by his predecessor, former Mayor Lori Lightfoot, um, that didn't really you know get off the ground. Um, but he wants to make outdoor dining permanent throughout the city, and this really was a popular option during the pandemic that yeah. I think a lot of restaurants have enjoyed. And so that's still going to need city council approval. But you know, you start to see him building these relationships with the restaurant industry. I think Lightfoot had a pretty strong relationship with the restaurant industry um, and worked closely with them during the pandemic. And and so. Um, you know, you saw him introduce that today and we'll continue to follow it as it moves through city council. I mean, as the weather gets warm, who's looking forward to dining outside? 
Oh my god, I was I driving am. here along the beach and the, the I get so jealous passing people sitting out there. The eating. Oak Street like, Beachstro is opening. I'm like, summer is actually here. Yes. Oh my god, I can't believe it. I feel like Logan Square does this very early. If it's like a sixty degree day, we don't care. It the windows does. are open. <laughs> Everyone's happy. Like shivering. It was so beautiful. Yeah, we don't care. I had pizza up there and I was like, <laughs> right. you know, I was outside and I, I don't even think it was that warm. It was like sixty. Yeah, we don't care. <laughs> but I was like, I'm I'm gonna sit out here and I'm gonna commit. <laughs> <laughs> this is reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're going behind the headlines in the weekly news recap with WTTW's Paris Schutz, Tina Svondelis of the Chicago Sun-Times, and WBEZ's Mariah Wolfel. So uh, talking about summertime, I mean, this is the unofficial start, I think, to, to summer this weekend. Uh, and the Chicago Park District, unfortunately, they gave some bad news. This yeah. is about the city's pools, Mariah. Still struggling with a lifeguard shortage. It's a local and national problem, though they have seen... Uh, apparently double the number of applications for lifeguards that they did than they did last year. And so they are confident maybe by the end of June they'll be able to open pools. Out, indoor pools are now closed so that they can shift lifeguards to the beaches, which open today. Um, and, you know, yeah, I mean, if you want to make some extra cash, I guess, apply <laughs> to be a lifeguard. Obviously, the Park District has dealt with a PR crisis over yeah. – um, you know, the investigation by WBEZ's Dan Mihalopoulos about lifeguard um, sexual harassment in the parks. And so that's something that they continue to deal with. They're offering incentives, a $600 retention bonus and and like mm-hmm. a, a day pass to Lollapalooza, I think I saw. Um, and so they're they're trying their wow, best to get they're people really to trying to yeah. <laughs> day pass to Lollapalooza. So so beaches opened today at 11 a.m. Just fun fact. Um, and uh, yeah, no date announced yet on when any of the park districts pools will be open, but officials are hoping hoping for June 23rd. I mentioned this story earlier to a WBEZ colleague, and she was like, we still have indoor pools? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot so of parents love indoor yeah. pools. I love indoor in- pools, are they great? I am actually actively in search of the nearest indoor pool that I can, you know, They've access. got some beautiful indoor pools. Eckert Park um, mm-hmm. near me is a great, it's my favorite indoor pool. They have like garage, glass window garage doors that they can open during the summer. Oh. So it's, you know, ins- it's closed during the winter and then, then it's like fresh air. See, I like that. Sasha, day. another yeah. summer thing that's starting tomorrow is the Millennium Park workouts. My favorite thing in the you whole world. You know what? That is. Y- and maybe you'll see the foxes. Yeah. As which, you do yoga. <laughs> what a great segue, <laughs> Tina, because I was just about to talk about the foxes. For folks who might have missed it, you know, if you you live near Millennium Park, you found out that you have some new wild neighbors. <laughs> Parents, tell us about this family. Well, I, I want to credit the great uh, photojournalists uh, like Colin Boyle at Block Club and, and a couple others that really snapped some beautiful photos of this Fox family to sort of bring this to uh, Chicagoans' attention that Millennium Park, uh, it's got some residents. Uh, a family of foxes, uh, they snap photos of, um, you know, fox, uh, little little cub going and getting some food yeah. in the in the in the in the name of a rat you know carrying around the rat <laughs> in their mouth and um you know and the the folks there say that like the foxes they can coexist with the humans just leave them alone yeah, they just... and they'll leave you alone but it's you know there's sometimes so much... they were even hiding once they you know I love humans. I love the the sort of the wildlife that sort of exists among us you know in this big sprawling city like right outside my door, I have a, a couple of coyotes that just kind of walk back and forth, and they start yawping at night. And it's just <laughs> like it's great. We can all coexist. Um, there's that big fat turtle uh, in the Chicago <laughs> River. And you mean Chunkasaurus? Chunkasaurus, and I got to credit. <laughs> Call uh, her by her her name. Joey Santor, the uh, botanist guy with yes. the Chicago accent, that found <laughs> him. Her is it's a her. It's a her. Right, it's her because she was maybe perhaps about to lay a bunch of eggs. So. 
hey, folks, there's a lot of nature in Chicago. <laughs> you just got to go out and find it. It sure is. Now, since Memorial Day is that unofficial kickoff to summer, we thought that we would ask you all to share maybe your favorite summer activity. So one that you've been dreaming about since January or February. I'm going to go to you first, Tina, because you just brought up those workouts. What, what I'm trying to do in the summer? Yeah. yeah. What are you so looking forward to? I will definitely. There's that. This is like Anything a really else? nerdy thing, but I collect a bunch of people to do these workouts. It is. <laughs> Pilates, yoga, cardio, kickboxing, and Zumba. And sometimes you just do all of them (laughs) as your, like, one major exercise of the week. And then you collapse? (laughs) And then you go to brunch and then you all of what you just burned. Nice sweaty brunch. I'd like to to join you, Tina, but isn't this some, like, ungodly hour of the morning? 8 a.m. Pilates, 9 a.m. yoga, 10 a.m. cardio, kickboxing. That's not too bad. The Zumba's the best because it's always, like, elderly ladies from various communities. And it's just a lot of, like, it's... It's cultural. It's really fun. It's yeah. not just like oomps oomps. It's like good music <laughs> oomps, and oomps. and like a variety of people. You yeah. do them all. I do in, all of oh, them. It, wow. Uh, I don't know. What to tell I just, you, I'm. I special. just started. I just started doing yoga. We'll talk. We'll okay. talk after the show because I feel cool now. I feel like I've joined this community yeah, that's you are cool. Is existed for a long time that I, I I've always I never felt like I was welcome, but now I'm here. I can't. I'm here to stay. touch my toes. Yeah. No. I still I still can't. Re- well, I can, but not. Very well. I can't even come close. <laughs> I mean, it's a work in progress. What about you, Mariah? <laughs> um, my perfect summer day is like jumping in the water at Promontory Point. It's just mm. such a picturesque air piece of the city. You feel like you're out of the city, it's actually. gorgeous. Yeah, it's just so beautiful. You have the rocks there, and so like jumping in the water and then soaking in the sun until you get so hot that you're sweating, and then you jump back in and just on repeat. <laughs> back and forth. Yeah. Gotta love it. What about you, Paris? Well, I like to play music. Uh, I play keyboards, and so in the summer, I love doing these outdoor uh, concerts. And really? Oh yeah. Um, where Where can we see you play? Well, I'm 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 playing a, a f- small little festival out near Harvard on June second called Nest Fest. Uh, it's kind of organized by some friends of mine, and uh, a lot of fun. If anyone wants to look it up, it's called Nest Fest, and I'll be playing in a band out there. It's like on a farm, and we'll be like on a tractor bed as oh our gosh. stage wow and then I'll, I'll be playing a solo uh keyboard uh, piano set with lots of uh electronic uh beats and fun stuff so summer to me is uh talented music it's just it's just being outdoors and the best is when you like play and it's dusk and and the sun's going down and by yeah. the time you finish your show it's it the stars are out and uh it's it's magic. Pretty awesome. I feel like we yeah. can combine all three activities yeah. in one. And we can yeah. do yoga. I'll, pl- I'll play <laughs> right. music Great. while Tina and Mariah do yoga and Zumba. It's absolutely perfect. perfect. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. All right, before we go, let's look ahead to, to next week, shall we? What, what are you watching for, Mariah? Well, I think, you know, a, lo- a, a large portion of the city, a lot of Chicagoans are watching this weekend with Memorial Day comes a spike in violence historically. And yeah. so not to end on a terrible note, but Brandon Johnson announced his his safety plans this week. They largely rely on, on um, past approaches yeah. to trying to mitigate crime, um, canceling officers' days off, boosting police officers in different areas. We're also seeing, though, peacekeepers um, in yellow vests from the state, 30 peacekeepers yeah. um, in you know hot spots to try to mitigate violence. Yeah. So I All think, eyes are on this weekend. Yeah, and I think that you know there will be uh, you know stories to to look out for. Oh, you'll next, be busy and week. you'll be back. <laughs> Real quick, pairs. This is a very obscure one, but there's a bill in the General Assembly that deals with uh, Chicago police and fire pensions. I don't. I won't get into all the specifics, but the long and short of it is, it it would change the pension system for a, a lot of police and firemen. That would add a lot of costs. Yeah. It, it would mean billions uh, over many years for the city of Chicago. 
Uh, it's something that Mayor Lightfoot opposed. I don't know where Brandon Johnson stands on it, uh, but that's going to be an interesting one to watch. Yeah, and you, Tina? Um, I will be digesting that $3,450.6 billion Illinois budget. She'll be reading the budget. Yeah. <laughs> we'll leave it there. That's it for the Weekly News Recap. My thanks to Tina Spondelis of the Chicago Sun-Times, WBEZ reporter Mariah Wolfel, and WTTW Channel 11's Paris Schutz. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.